0: This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic, craziness. No time, no fun. Just work, work, work. work. Perform, perform harder. Harder. Push, push. Machines. High pressure, no time. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless this is efficiency on demand and this is your host Monique
1: welcome back to efficiency on demand everyone I'm so happy to have you here today I have for from my side a very special guest because I really love following him I love talking with him I love sending him baby elephant photos don't worry I didn't caught the baby elephants. They're just right there. And the reason why I love him so much is because He has the ability to uh, speak about his opinion in a very crowded way and still is open to very many different perspectives. And I think we need way more people like him. He's also very young, so that's very refreshing. (laughs) And the work he's doing, I feel, is very, very important. And I hope the word is going to spread. So let me welcome Kyrie, everyone. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kyrie.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? And um, how did you get into posting opinions all over the place and letting people um, basically roll them over about what you're saying?
2: Yeah. So I'm from California here in the United States. I live in Arizona right now. I I own a marketing company. I do sort of life coaching. I do business consulting for people. Kind of, I I do quite a few different things, but... Mainly, I like kind of hosting a, a brand or a personal brand online. The biggest reason is I, I like hearing how other people think. I've interviewed, I think it's almost 890 people over the last six years. Wow. And I, I'm really just intrigued at why we do the things we do, why we think the way we think, how we interact with ourselves and the world around us, how you know our identity shapes our behavior. So really, on my personal profile on Facebook, I, I really just kind of conduct not necessarily studies, but just I kind of test out different ideas and, and ways that people respond to different topics online.
1: Right. And I think the way do it is for me, the most, if I may say, rounded up version of doing so, because I've never seen um, you getting offended, really, or getting into a heated argument, which I always found pretty <laughs> much very you know, it's nonsense to do an a argument like this in the internet because it's like there's, it's not getting anywhere. So how did you get to the point of being able to communicate like that, but also to just give space to all of these different perspectives?
2: Yeah, I think it was detaching myself from other people's perspective. like they don't need to think the way that I think in order for me to think the way that I think. I think a lot of people base how they feel about something on whether or not somebody else agrees with them. And to me, it just, it doesn't seem like a factor at all. I think how I think because of my experiences and because of my perspective. And I also realize other people think the way they think based on their own experiences, their perspective, and those two things don't need to be the same.
1: Right. I think this is super important. And if we can dig a little deeper there, I think that would be amazing because I feel, especially in the online world, this whole comparison and look at you, look at me, you're further, I'm further, I'm bigger, better, faster, stronger, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Is super strong and it can have a detrimental um, effect on health, whether it's mental health, physical health. Um, and I feel like many people don't understand what you just said about detaching yourself from other people's perspectives opinions experiences because it's in fact not your reality right
2: yeah again i I think we're just attached to the the idea that other people need to think the way we think or other people thinking the way we think validates how we think and i just that's never felt like a worthwhile thing to focus on to me i like Mm. digging into how i think about things and i like it being challenged i like People disagreeing with me i like people questioning when i pose an opinion because to me the goal is to grow the goal isn't to be correct
1: and that's really interesting i think that's a point where people are really really struggling with looking at the fact that many of them trying to be correct rather than to use the opportunity to grow because the fact that their egos are attached to this point of being correct might be holding them back from seeing the opportunity to improve themselves.
2: Yeah. Or just to pose their own opinion and and to maybe influence how somebody else thinks about it.
1: Mm. So where do you think does that come from? Like In many of us, why would we want to influence other people's opinions so much?
2: Well, I think all of us think that if more people thought like us, the world would be a better place. I think everybody thinks that.
1: <laughs>
2: and so that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, right or wrong, I think that's that's why people voice their opinions is hopefully if more people think like me, the world will be better. Mm. And, and I think everybody throughout history has felt that way. We yeah. all tend to have a bias towards our own opinions.
1: That is, that is really interesting, right? I've never thought about it from that way, but it's true. I do believe true, like if not for everything, honestly, but for some particular foundational beliefs, if more people would believe that way, (laughs) the world definitely would be a better place. Yeah. For example, like accepting common sense. (laughs) That would be great.
2: The people who disagree with you always also think that same thought.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people who don't have common sense, they don't want common sense.
2: Yeah, or they think if Monique would just think about this the way that I think about it, the world would be a better place.
1: Yeah, definitely. So how would you approach that from someone who's not as far as you as in like communication or being detached? How would you take steps to the detachment of other people's opinions?
2: Yeah, I don't think everybody's supposed to be detached from other people's opinions. I think that combatants, that back and forth, often gives people purpose especially online i think a lot of people go online in order to have the conflict so my way of thinking removes the conflict and for other people that wouldn't be fun because one specifically for the conflict or to try to disprove somebody else or to try to make somebody else look stupid from my perspective that that's not a worthwhile that's not a good way to use our time but i realize also that for a lot of people that's what they choose to do so I don't think I'd say anything to those people. Our perspective isn't the same.
1: Yeah. How do you navigate the in-between of not putting other people down or not, yeah, not pe- putting other people down? I've seen a lot of those posts about literally stereotyping, discriminating, and um painting like a very specific picture about a group of people who may have like some specific characteristics and wearing specific type of clothes from a specific brand or whatever and then discriminating them to the point of where i think like man so okay if one single person just wears this type of leggings they're already out for you like this is (laughs) crazy to me and it's just funny because sometimes these are even the people that the ones who put them down, they want to work with them. Like they're literally discriminating the shit out of their audience Mm -hmm. to make them feel so small that then they want to come and be like, Oh, help me. If that is the relationship they want to create, like I kind of, I can't see the benefit for either of them and I can't see any results. So how do you navigate basically the in between of like voicing your opinion, making sure you stand with it and, still having your opinion challenged Mm -hmm. but not getting in the pathway of putting other people down or saying things like like they stereotyping discriminations basically
2: i would say again i i also the biggest thing is that i realize that my opinion is only an opinion my opinion isn't the law my opinion isn't universal truth let's say my opinion is only my perspective based on my past experiences and uh, what I've seen go on before. And and I realize that other people aren't going to have the same thing. Some people are. Some people are going to say, I like how he thinks. I want to think around the same way. But a lot of people aren't going to think about things the way that I think about them. My job is to make as compelling a case as possible for people to either agree with the way that I think or figure out a better way to think about that same topic. I'm always open to somebody having a better thought process than me, but you you need to show me that you've actually done the work to think about things from multiple sides. So before I post anything, especially when I post a, an opinion or something that can be taken as a little bit abrasive online, I always try to think about who's going to disagree with me and why. What about an mm-hmm. opinion can rub somebody the wrong way? Or what about this can come off as offensive? And I try to think about all areas of that topic before I post it. So when people come on and comment, usually I can give a little bit of context or, hey, here's what I actually meant in order to stop people from getting way, way too angry about things.
1: Mm -hmm. That sounds like a lot of work.
2: I don't think at this point it is. Okay. I just, I mean, one, I enjoy thinking. I really do enjoy, like, I like thinking about difficult topics and difficult problems. And I want to challenge other people to do the same. So for me, part of it, I guess, is like a game. But I think a big piece (laughs) of it is I'm hopefully expanding other people's ability to think through problems.
1: Right. Yeah, I totally get that. So obviously, it's it's, at least for me, I'm not sure if everyone is seeing it, but um, there's like one specific topic that you're coming back to quite a lot, which is masculinity. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about like, where does it come from? How did you get into like being so focused on this topic and why is it so important that we are talking about it?
2: Yeah. So I think that no matter who we are as people, no matter what group we belong to, what country we're from, I think we're all led by masculine and feminine energy or or pieces of us that are more masculinely led or more led by an effeminate energy or nature. And I really just enjoy figuring out what those look like and how they apply to us. And how we can both, we can all have both within us, but we're usually led by one or the other. And typically men are led by the masculine, women are led by the feminine and digging into how can we maximize our potential understanding who we naturally are and our natural state and our natural way of being. And so I think masculinity for me is just as a guy, I've always wanted to figure out like, what's the best way to go through life? What's the best way to handle challenges in business with family, with relationships, with the internal struggle we all have of like figuring out who we are as people and how do we put our best foot forward to figure that out throughout life?
1: So did you have um, the role models that you needed as a child or was it more that you didn't have them and then you wanted to create something for you that you said, look, I kind of want, I want to figure this out and I want to do it right.
2: Yeah. I'd say I had multiple role models, but the biggest thing was not having like the singular role model as like a lot of people have, a lot of boys have their father as the singular role model to say, here's what being a man looks like. And I realized by me not having that, it gave me an opportunity to pull from multiple different sources and say, I like how this guy thinks about his finances. I like how this guy thinks about business. I like how this guy handles his marriage. I like how this guy parents his kids. So I kind of got to piece together throughout the first, I mean, still going. So 25 years plus of my life, I Mm -hmm. get to piece together daily what masculinity or what manhood looks like.
1: Mm, Nice. So can you give me a rough picture of what it looks like to you? Masculinity? Yeah.
2: So I I try to come up with like the closest reference I can. And I have it set down to kind of three pillars of always carrying with you a soft heart, thick skin and a hard head. Soft heart is your empathy, your ability to put yourself in another person's shoes and really genuinely feel that other person, whether their perspective is the same as yours or not. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to understand them, but you can put yourself in that situation and say, I can see why they came to the conclusion they came to. The thick skin is your emotional intelligence. It's kind of the internal filtering system we have for information. How does this apply to me? Is it useful information or is it not? Is it positive or is it negative? Is this person's opinion relevant to me or not? Does this person care about me or not? Do they have my best interests in mind? Like all the information we're constantly downloading, I think our emotional intelligence is that filter that it goes through before we make a decision. And then the hard head is your grit, determination, stick-to-itiveness. As a man, is kind of what pushes us forward even when things are challenging.
1: That totally sounds like three very solid pillars. And... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the the one that most men, and also women, but we're talking about masculinity, so most men would struggle with, would be the thick skin.
2: Yeah, I'd say either the soft heart or the thick skin.
1: Mm, okay. Why the soft heart?
2: I think a lot of guys are out of touch with their emotions.
1: Right. Which I would have put into this thick skin part as well. Because if you don't know how to handle your emotions, you wouldn't be able to improve this intelligence of when to be attached to something, when not, all those kind of things.
2: And that's part of it is all of them kind of feed off of one another.
1: Mm, yeah, sure.
2: All three pillars help to inform. So like your emotional intelligence is informed by your emotions, obviously. So you got to yeah. your emotions before you can filter them. You have to filter them before you can act upon them.
1: Right. So how did you go about, because, so you just said, I think you're 25, is that right? Yes. So how did you go about to learn all of these things, maybe by yourself, maybe from other role models, from different ones, and then adapting it to your, making it basically your own version of it?
2: Yeah. Again, a lot of it was talking to other people. Mm. Doing all those interviews, I started getting a picture of what that that ideal thing looks like. And so because I've been constantly kind of looking at what, what is the ideal way of, of living as a man in the world, I think I just started piecing information together and I started seeing trends where let me look at the guys who are the most successful from my perspective and what are the commonalities between all of them. And I realized that those men had those three pillars in order. They, they were able to take themselves through this certain th- process before making decisions or before doing something out of emotion or, you know, there's so many different things to take into account. And the men who were able to line those things up and say, here's why I did what I did, here's why I said what I said, were the guys who were most able to take control of their own lives, who were most loving towards their families, who were most intentional about their relationships, and the guys who I wanted to be most like.
1: Right. So obviously, like having, did you say over 800 interviews?
2: Yeah, yeah, 892, yeah. I believe.
1: Wow. <laughs> That'll take a long time, right? So was that just for you privately? Did you do it in a podcast kind of forum? How did you conduct these interviews and how did you get people to speak to you?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't even know what a podcast was back then. This was back in 2013 I started. I didn't know what a podcast was. What I knew was I want to impact people. I want to be able to help people. But I was 19 and I knew I didn't have the life experience that was going to be necessary to really impact people the way that I wanted to. And so from there, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I said, what's the quickest way for me to learn as much as possible about life and what you know, why we do the things we do, why we think the way we think and all all those questions I had floating around in my brain. I just started asking the people around me. I started asking coworkers, family, friends, and it kind of just grew from there. I, I started my friend's uncle as a doctor, so I go interview him. The other one's a lawyer, so I go interview him. I've interviewed billionaires. I've interviewed death row inmates. I've interviewed monks, like almost any type of person you can think of. I've sat down with and just kind of dug through what makes those people who they are.
1: So what would you say was the most surprising and on the other hand, what was most impressive to you with all these kind of people? Like what stuck out to you when you interviewed all of them?
2: No, I I don't think anything was super surprising because I I tried to come into each one without an expectation of what I was going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. I think I genuinely just listened to people for who they were and what their experiences were. I don't think I came in with an expectation of, what I wanted to get out of it or what I wanted the person to say.
1: Mm. So anything that you thought like, okay, this guy, I have to know more about him because, and there was some impressive or some very maybe counterintuitive thing that they would have done to get where they are now.
2: Yeah. I would have thought that successful people at, at night, like when I was younger, I would have thought successful people would have paid a whole lot more attention to work than they actually did the people who were successful from my perspective not just monetarily but just overall the people who were happiest treated work as totally secondary to life family relationships and there was they didn't negotiate that it was it came after the things that were really important to them
1: i love that because obviously that's exactly what i'm doing too and what i'm trying to bring out in the world so did you adapt this already for yourself?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: So what made the difference for you when you switched over from, you know, work first to basically life first?
2: I really don't think that I've even seen what that looks like yet. Mm. Because I made the decision before. So this is one of the big things I learned from the relation or from the interviews was I learned how I'm supposed to set my life up before it needed to be set up that way. I mm. knew at 19, what was going to be important to me at 45. So, I think the biggest thing that those interviews gave me was foresight into what my future may look like. So, I've already right. set up my business to where I'll never have to miss one of my child's practices from sports or a parent teacher meeting or a ballet class or uh, any of that. I don't even have kids yet, but I'm already set yeah. up my life to where I won't really need to make the sacrifices that other people will have to make and have to sometimes choose work over their children or obligations over what is going to strengthen their relationships.
1: Right. And I think many people, first of all, I don't believe that there are many out there, if if even like a handful of them, who are sitting down by the age of like 19 and think about how they want to set up their lives so that they can get the most... Let me just throw in my favorite word that they can the most, you know, get their work done efficiently, obviously, Mm -hmm. but also to just have the most fulfilled life and how this will look like. And the funny part is, I mean, I have a very different story, but I did it at 19 too. I was forced to do it because I had already six years of work behind me and I literally died on the spot. I had a cardiac arrest and I was clinically dead for 25 seconds. And this gave such a different perspective and hearing someone else saying like, you know, I actually sat down and was thinking about how my life should be looking like is so refreshing. I barely have people and obviously my clients come to me and they're exactly at the point you say right now, like they're mid or end thirties and they wish they would be able to spend more time with their kids or didn't have to miss that family dinner and whatever, you know. And I think people don't understand how important that is,
2: Or or they understand it after it's too late or after they've already messed up a whole lot.
1: Right. So when we're talking about efficiency, right, we can go from different angles. And so I kind of want to go an angle with you that we hadn't have before, just because I think it, it would be really interesting to hear. So I see you a lot um, talking about dating and everything as well and being really intentional about it, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I see a lot. I mean, I'm just following along. And you know me, I'm more in the background with all of that. I'm not getting into any discussions, whatever. I don't have time for that. So I'm literally looking from like the behind the scenes. And once in a while, I'm going through your post. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. So then I see a lot of people who complain about how, time wasting dating can be and all of these dating apps and they don't find the right person and it's like all of this is right or wrong and it's on both sides there's no one excluded from that and i want to know if you have any dating efficiency tips no matter what those are and i think we're going to get some really cool things to hear from you
2: dating efficiency tips (laughs) yeah The people who are most skeptical about it or the most, you know, they see it as a waste of time, they're usually the people who aren't very good at it. And uh, often they're not very good at it because they haven't put a whole lot of time into developing themselves to be the right person to do it. Right. So I'd say a lot of people try to, they try to blame the platform. Oh, it's online dating sucks. Oh, now that we have the internet, dating's horrible. Oh, now that this other thing outside of myself is present- That's why I'm not good at dating as opposed Mm -hmm. to saying what's been the common denominator in my dating life, not being what I want it to be. It's always me. Yeah. So I I just realized that there's no, uh, there's no benefit in blaming the platform or the vehicle because you have no control over those. What you can control is how am I approaching this? How am I showing up for myself and for that other person? Also, what am I giving out there to be desired? I think a lot of people, and it may sound harsh, a lot of people feel like, of course somebody should date me because I'm me. Without really saying from an outside perspective, what about me makes me attractive to somebody else? And it's not always physical, but what about you is intriguing enough for somebody else to want to have that role in your life? Yeah. And if you can't come up with an answer, you better go create it.
1: That's right. So... I just love it. (laughs) So let's go and dig a little bit deeper. So say there's a person, you know, swiping right and left and just can't get to the point of finding someone finally admitting, well, maybe it's me. Where do they start?
2: Again, I'd say take stock of who you are and really what makes you special. I really do think that most of us do have something that sets us apart from the average person. Right. And maybe it's an accomplishment we've had. Maybe it's our way of viewing the world. Maybe it's something we have no control over. Maybe it's something that happened to us in the past that has shaped our perspective and our worldview. But I think most of us have something that's desirable to other people, mm-hmm. or at least to a certain group of other people. And I think we need to do a better job of honing in on what that is and what that provides to somebody else. Like, how is their life going to benefit from having me in it?
1: Right. Now, let's just say this person has no freaking idea what this could be. How can they find out about it?
2: It's all introspection. It's all asking yourself those difficult questions. Why is dating not worked for me so far? Why is, yeah, like, why are these things not lining up for me? Why have they never lined up for me? And what about me needs to change? And I think you continue to dig until you come up with an answer, or you come up with multiple answers, or you come up with multiple options as to what may be the answer.
1: Would you go and send someone and be like, hey, if you really don't find anything special about yourself, go and ask your friends?
2: Oh, very much so. Or ask people you don't even know. Right. Like, I want you to sit down with somebody you've never met before. Not with the point of trying to date them, but just to say, hey, I want to sit down and get to know you for 15 minutes. And after that 15 minutes, ask them what they think about you.
1: Did you do that before?
2: Why did so? My last question on all of my interviews was after telling me all this, what do you think I think of you now? Oh, and that kind of opened up the conversation of us doing kind of a back and forth of our perspectives of one another.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. So, looking into business, you're doing a lot of different things, right? And how are you managing basically the balance between doing advertisement and doing life coaching and maybe writing a book or playing with puppies.
2: You said, how do I balance it?
1: Yeah. I mean, balance, not in like 50, 50 balance, but you know, how do you, how do you create for yourself this priority, obviously of life first and then work, but still being able to do all of these things because I feel like out there, there's always this belief that we need to niche down, that we need to be this one thing that we are known for. So how do you make sure you don't have to be this one thing and you're good at advertising and life coaching?
2: I'd say commitment to being a well-rounded person is probably the biggest thing. It's saying, I don't just want to be this one thing and go and cultivate those other pieces of yourself. You may have an, an interest in music. You may have an interest in art. You may have an interest in these other areas that maybe have nothing to do with business on the front end, or you may think that they have nothing to do with your business, or you can't make money doing them. I'd say pony in on the things that really make you feel the most alive, the most vibrant throughout the day, and one, doing them as often as you possibly can, but also sometimes figuring out how to make money doing them, Figure out how can you monetize a gift that you just naturally have to the point where it doesn't really feel like work. A lot of times when I'm marketing, especially when I'm doing consulting for people, I don't really feel like I'm working because I'm talking about something I'm interested in. I I like consumer psychology. I like thinking through why people buy the things they buy. So when I'm talking to a client, they're paying me to do it, but I don't feel like, oh, I got to do work now. I feel like I talk about something I'm interested in talking about for an hour, an hour and a half. And I happen to get paid to do it.
1: That's the way of ikigai. Do you know ikigai? I've,
2: yeah, I've been sent like the picture of what that looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's basically a, a Japanese concept of combining the thing that you're really good at with the thing that you're really passionate at, with the thing that you can make money off into your life's purpose, basically. And there's like three circles that go and overlap into five different mini options and then it goes into the middle which is your ikigai basically Mm. and it's a beautiful um yeah it's a beautiful concept it there is a whole book on it but it doesn't really matter right now but the the whole concept is really beautiful because i i believe that many people get stuck in this like i need to make money um and either i'm i kind of like it or not but i don't think that They understand how it can feel like if you do something that you truly love and you're passionate about, which I think can be two different things. It doesn't have to be, but it can be two different things. And as you say, monetize it. And I think it's really beautiful when people finally get to the point of understanding that this is a a life path for them too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are so many questions I would want to ask you. (laughs) Okay. So if you... If you meet a new person, basically, right? You get to know them, doesn't matter in what kind of setting, business, personal, whatever. Mm -hmm. How do you assess the person as the person itself and not what they're doing? Like, how do you build your, basically your opinions about other people?
2: Uh, Just through our interactions with one another. I do what everybody else does and I will prejudge and I will pre-assess based on how the person looks, how they present themselves, that kind of first that first look, but I don't hold them to that. I allow myself to say, this is who they appear to be, but I'm also willing to have that opinion change based on who they show themselves to be once they open up a little bit or once we get into a conversation or once I see them interact with with me or with somebody else or with their own children or waiters at a restaurant. I, I start forming my opinion or, or informing my opinion just based on how I watch them interact with themselves and the world around them.
1: So is it then more important for you of how people act or how they speak?
2: I think both are very important. I'd say actions are more important, but I'd say if your actions and your speech aren't in alignment with one another, there's a big problem anyway.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely. Totally agree yeah. with that. So, if you would have to basically you're being put on a stage, right? And you have 5 minutes to influence a million people right in front of you, what would you tell them?
2: I haven't thought about that in quite a while. A million people. I'm not sure. To me, I would hope that they brought somebody on stage a whole lot smarter than myself. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I'm still figuring so many different things out. And I realize that what's right for me isn't right for everybody else. So probably it would be just sort of generic advice of of finding what's right for you and chasing what that is or chasing what that looks like Mm -hmm. or finding the type of life that you want to live, and, and actually putting forth the effort to go create what that looks like. Right. But other than that, I really don't, I don't know what type of uh broad reaching advice to give to people. I like helping people one on one. I like helping people in small groups, talking to a million yeah. people, you kind of have to make it super general, so that everybody can understand it, or everybody can apply it to themselves.
1: Right. Yeah, it's like these Martin Luther King kind of speeches, you know, like, let's live our dreams
2: general right now. truths, absolutely
1: yeah so looking at self-improvement i mean one can see how much you're putting effort into improving yourself growing and being challenged do you have a certain routine that you go through of reviewing your actions maybe even your words do you have anything where you say let's just Say as an example, well, every week I sit down and I look through what I've done, what I've experienced, and where I have where I could have been doing differently, or something like that. Is there a specific routine how you're trying to improve yourself?
2: Uh, there's not a routine to it. I, I mean, I I sit down and kind of take stock every evening before I go to bed of what that day looked like, what I would have done differently, what I could have accomplished that I didn't, what time did I waste. What did I take advantage of that, like I'm proud of myself for taking advantage of? Where did I spend my time correctly? But I, I, I wouldn't say that there's a routine as far as how to change it. It's just a consistent, concerted effort. And there's also certain things that aren't important enough right now to change. There's a lot mm-hmm. of times that I have that uh, I like to just enjoy my time, and I, I practice not feeling bad about it because I used to think that it'd be right. go, go, go all day long. In entrepreneurship, we're taught that. You have to hustle all day long. Yeah. And again, sometimes I like hanging out with my dogs for two, three hours in the morning and I push all the rest of my meetings off to the afternoon because I feel like hanging out with my dogs or I feel like going and driving around. Like I don't think efficiency is of utmost importance once you've accomplished a certain level of success in business.
1: Right. And I I totally agree. And I think that people misunderstand efficiency, to be honest. Which is why I'm here. <laughs> I'm trying to solve that myth a little bit. So, what is efficiency? What does efficiency mean to you then?
2: I would I would boil it down to like best use of time,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: and maybe the best use of time is to relax sometimes. Maybe the best use of time is to not do anything. So I, I figure that's exactly. where kind of where you're going with it. Yeah, efficiency <laughs> isn't always kind of the go 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 that people think it is.
1: Yeah. I feel like, as you said, in entrepreneurship, this became literally a digital disease of like hustling and grinding and pulling all nighters and all this kind of things. And I, I mean, I've been there, I've done that. And like, I probably got all of the souvenirs that you can get from the shop, not only the t-shirt and this really doesn't work. I mean, if a cardiac arrest is not enough to prove to you that it doesn't work, (laughs) then I don't know what else you need to see, you know? So how do you approach, like, I, I find it really interesting that if you sit down at night, you're writing down where you wasted your time, which would be time wasters for you?
2: What would be time wasted?
1: Yeah. What would be time wasters for you?
2: The time that I spend leading up to what I know I'm supposed to do or what I know I need to do next. So mm. let's say I give myself, I'm going to watch this podcast for 20 minutes. And then after that 20 minutes, I'm like, ooh, this is a nice video. Ooh, this is a cool video. Ooh, this other one's a cool video. That time to me is time where I've wasted as opposed to saying that 20 minutes is up that I gave myself to watch this podcast. It's back to work right now.
1: Right. Okay. I see. And so where do you think in comparison to that, did you spend your time correctly then?
2: The things I do throughout the day that that increase my joy that increase my current state.
1: And that could be, that could be anything between puppies and driving around going to the range or whatever.
2: Yeah. It's like the self care stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, okay. I think we have a lot covered, which is great. I ask my guests usually one question at the end. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rephrase it a little bit for you because we've, we've not gone too much into business. So as a person who wants to continuously improve, you know, who wants to be the best version of yourself, if we kind of throw in that one, and um, who just wants to make sure that life is a priority and not um, business, for example, which would be the top three things that in hindsight now, looking back, you would suggest to anyone doing.
2: I'd say getting very clear on what your purpose is very quickly or as quickly as possible and then designing your life around what that purpose is. Because I think that purpose helps us to drive. I think it serves as like the driving force behind everything else we do. Hmm. Yeah, find a purpose. Find something to work like disgustingly hard toward. Like where you would you would wow yourself as far as how much effort you're willing to put into this thing. Yeah, find something to really, really dig and strive towards. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's an alignment with your purpose or maybe it gets you toward your purpose or th- whatever that thing is. But learn to work really, really, really hard and outwork everybody else around you in some area or another. Third one, find things in your life that are that literally radiate pure joy when you think about them. I was just on a podcast the other day and somebody asked me what the best investment I've ever made was. And I had to think about it for a second because I don't invest a whole lot in trainings and books and things like that but i realized my my i've got a three and a half year old siberian husky and i was like it's, that six hundred dollars is probably the best money i've ever spent because of the exchange of money for the amount of joy that i've gotten out of that dog
1: yeah and it was the first thing i was thought you would answer like your dog mm-hmm. would probably be the best investment you ever made Amazing. Kyrie, thank you so, so much. Before we end this, I want to know where can people find you and what can they find there?
2: Yeah, <laughs> you're going to find a whole lot. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you please like. My personal Facebook page is where I post most of my content. Yeah, I think it's facebook.com slash Kyrie Oliver 1994. And then my Instagram is just at Kyrie, at K-Y-R-E-E. Uh those are got two.
1: that one. <laughs> yeah. Those
2: are the main two platforms that I post most of my content on.
1: Any website we can find something about you?
2: My business website. It's www.influx.com. All All
1: right. You know how it works guys. This is definitely linked somewhere above beyond right left wherever the show notes are. So you will be able to find these links and link up with Kari. You definitely want to do that. You will want to get stuck in his content and follow along. Um, And if it's only for the purpose of getting wrapped on some of his topics, that's for sure. Ray. it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for making my morning thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights and i hope this is not going to be the last time that we're speaking together and recording it
2: no i've got to come down to thailand we got to do an in-person one one.
1: Oh, for sure well you know that the baby elephants are waiting for you we have a lot of chubby puppies that would love to meet you too so come on over we got a spot for you for sure
0: thank you again
1: <laughs> thank you so much
0: You've been listening to Efficiency on Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at secretweapon to efficiency We'll see you next time on Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Remember... If- Slow down to speed up.